thekitlocker.com club series podcast. podcast. Talking everything grassroots. Welcome to another Kit Locker Club Series podcast. This episode is around how to get into women's football. With we are, we are with. I'm with Ben, uh, new business development manager at Kit Locker. I'm Ola, the marketing manager at Kit Locker, and we're joined by Tore, who also works at Kit Locker. Emma from Surrey FA, and Chris from the team that Tore manages. So, guys, if you could give us a little bit of an introduction of who you are and what you do and what your role is within women's football, that'd be greatly appreciated. I'll start. Um, so I'm Tori, obviously um, I work at Kit Locker um, in the HR, but I also play for Bradford City Women, um, managed by Chris. Um, and yeah. I think that leads into me then. So yeah, uh, my name's Chris Ames. Um, I'm uh, yeah, first team manager at Bradford City Women. Um, been around the game for a couple of years now, so um, so taking on that management role uh, first first time in this club. And I'm Emma Barnes. I'm football development manager at Surrey FA, and I have a lead for women's and girls football as well. So we've got um, guests on from different perspectives. So hopefully we get a couple of different opinions on on the game, and hopefully a couple of really good pieces of advice from different people's perspectives for people that are looking to get into women's football. So, I guess a good place to start is where did you start playing the game? Or, as we've mentioned before we started recording, Chris, um, how did you start um, you know, your journey within women's football? I guess, Chris, you're probably a good place to start for this as well. Yeah, so for me, um, I've been working in football for about a year. Um, just doing sort of community work and stuff. So obviously that was that was mixed anyway across uh, men's and women's football, boys and girls, um, all ages. And then um, my first sort of real break in football was was in women's football with with Crew Alexandra, um, their under 18s team, and uh, that then progressed to got lucky enough to then start working in the RTC setup, which is like the girls' academy system um, with Manchester United. And um, it's just sort of grown from there really for me and. The more and more you're in it and you're around it and you're sort of getting to know people, it's it sort of just kept me um, sort of locked in, I suppose. And, and I've just I've become absolutely obsessed with the whole uh, system of the sport. So you know, watching it, supporting it, um, obviously managing in it, coaching in it. So um, it's it's sort of just become sort of the key aspect of my sort of footballing life, really. It's interesting you say that, Chris. Sorry to, to jump in there. So we had a call the other day. Um, it was regarding how to develop a, a girls' football club. And uh, there was a gent in there called Michael Taylor from Exton Girls, and he was referencing, I think I'm right in saying, all that there was more enjoyment and um, reward coaching girls, women and girls football than there were from the men's side of things. Is that similar for yourself? So, yeah. So when I first started getting involved, I mean, I didn't have a – a great playing background. Um, I'm sure Tori can can jump in on that. Despite my, my winning goal last night, um, I'm not I'm not the greatest footballer in the world. And, and you tend to find sort of, particularly in the men's game and the men's non-league game, it's it's jobs for the jobs for the boys really. And, and I didn't have that background. Um, you know, I was, I was eager to get in there and to learn and provide myself with opportunity. And it just was such a more inclusive and accepting environment to begin with for someone who. Um, like I said, didn't have that that in straight away. Um, 
and and it sort of just suited my personality as well the, the original clubs I was around and then you know like once you start building um, experience and, and reputation in it anyway that that helps um, your progression anyway but that that first um, encounter for me was was so much more inclusive Great. Sorry, where do you want to go? I guess I'll, yeah. Play again. Um, yeah, so I started playing football when I was like six. I actually quit ballet for football. So a bit of a classic move there. Um, I played back home just for local team. Dad as my manager, um, all that jazz. Um, and then when I moved up to Sheffield, played for uni, um, got into Sheffield United Development, uh, then Donny Bells and... Um, I knew Chris from a uh, previous background, so I uh, ended up following him to Bradford City. Emma, you want to go? Yeah, so I've also got a bit of a playing background. I started playing when I was 11. Like Tori, I did also do ballet, and I quit ballet to play football, so it's kind of like a theme there as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I played for some local teams and then sort of, moved up the pyramid a little bit and then I picked up a couple of bad injuries so my, my I had a good playing career in terms of length of career but then I had to to give that up unfortunately but I was also coaching at the same time so like Chris um done coaching qualifications worked in a centre of excellence which was an RTC in terms um did coach mentoring role and spent some time in the states coaching too um, and then I've worked in a county FA for, I don't know if I want to tell you how many years I've worked at a county FA, but a long time, uh, mainly leading on women's and girls football, but picking up different areas as well. But alongside that, I'm also a, a talent reporter for the FA. So I work on the um, England pathway um, from youth through to adult as well. So a bit of a mix there, but my life since 11 has been football, 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 and I've been really fortunate to be involved in a sport that I absolutely love and I don't think there's many people that can say that so I'm very grateful for what I've been able to do. My next question was what does um, playing or being involved in women's football mean to you but I guess you've all kind of said in your own you know in your own way like what it means to you is pretty much everything um, so I guess we'll we'll skip that for now and I, what I'd like to hear from you guys is if we, if we take it a step back and talk about people that aren't in the women's game yet, you know, whether they're at a youth level or whether they're at an adult level, there's a lot of, there might be a lot of stigma attached to getting into a football team. I know there is for, on the men's side for myself, like there's a lot of nerves and you don't really know, you kind of get into a team through someone that already plays there that you know, um, so you just, you know, you, you go to training and then it turns into playing and then you're just one of the team. Um, but if you're a girl and you want to play football, what, and you've not really got the confidence, what would you suggest from like a mentality side of things before an actionable thing where you're going on the FA? What would you, what kind of advice would you give to that individual? Do you want me to take that one? Um, so the FA got a couple of programmes at the moment. I don't know if you've heard of the FA Wildcats program which is for five to eleven year olds and it's grown massively over recent years now speaking from a Surrey point of view we've got around 64 wildcat centers across the county which is fantastic and the wildcat centers were set up to offer sort of that introduction level for girls to play football so 
it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to come along to a session and it's going to be a picture set up there put in bibs and you go straight into a match and do proper coaching drills it's something that's really sort of dip your toe in the water the coaches have been trained so they sort of know what they're dealing with complete beginners so they're really really good opportunities for for young girls out there that think mm, I'm not sure I want to go along with my friends but um I would definitely recommend that if you if a five to eleven year old is thinking about it that should be their first portal call and if it's becomes something they really love and they want to pursue they've then got the option of moving into a grassroots club and then moving through the pathway and they're on and if you're looking at the other end of the spectrum for women the recreational game has grown massively over the past two three four seasons and again speaking from a Surrey point of view it's thriving at the moment and even over the past year where people haven't been able to get out and get as active as they want to I've still been getting inquiries about where can I go and play where can I play for fun rather than having to commit to playing every Sunday at 2pm and two or three training sessions a week so the recreational sessions are adult sessions 16 plus generally you find the slightly older women that are maybe doing it more for the social fitness side of things or those that are getting back into the game but um but yeah those sessions are thriving at the moment we've actually two and a half years ago we set up a women's flexi league so they play once a month now because as soon as you get on the pitch and you get above for the game it gets competitive and then they all want start wanting matches so we set up a league and and they play recreational 7v7 once a month so on the um, on the wildcats part Emma, i've got a couple of questions actually for you there go for it have you seen I know this is a bit of a club development question, but have you seen many uh, clubs take the Wildcats and then develop a women's section or a women's team, uh, late girls teams within the clubs? And, and has, it, has that been hugely successful, as, as good as you want it to have been? Yeah, no, it has been successful because it's kind of like you're almost backfilling or starting a team or a section from there. So any club that comes to me and would say, we want to start a girls section, my piece of advice would be set up a Wildcat session first. So then you can start grouping the girls. If you've predominantly got a, for example, a Wildcats is 5 to 11. So if you get a, a big cohort of 7 8-year-olds, the following season, if they're keen, you can then start forming a team and then sort of backfill that session from there. So, yeah, it's a really good development. Great. And then have you, have you come across, so the recreational side of things, I know within central London, have you heard of the Super Fives League? Um, um, I think I might have seen that, yeah. It's been a huge, hugely successful programme in uh, the central London, I think, five-a-sides, uh, pretty self-explanatory, but teams setting up from different uh, communities, cultures, and playing with and, and women in, and girls playing football. How have you found the Flexi League launch and then continue to grow? And is there any advice, I mean, I, for me personally, could take to county FAs in, in regarding the Flexi uh, League programme? Yeah, I mean, I've already been contacted by um, another county that's looking to roll it out as well, because obviously we've got the Euros coming next year to this country. So I think it's got, recreational football is going to move up the sort of agenda in terms of that as a good launch platform for more sessions. Um, I think if you're looking to get a league started, I think one of the key things is it's going to be the teams and the number of teams you've got playing within a county. So we're fortunate where we are, it, it just sort of, organically grew and there was the right people in the right areas that sort of like led it and took it onto that next level so it's finding those sort of like spearhead people that are gonna help support you and rally the troops but um i would definitely advise 
dipping your toe in the water, giving it a go, and I'd happily support any county that wanted to and give them advice on that. I think I'll take you up on that, Emma. There's been a few questions that we've had recently on how we can help grow the women, women's games, and I'm a, I visit so many county FAs, so to be able to share that best practice will be really Yeah, good. no, that's no problem at all. Um, Tore, from, from your perspective, someone that's a similar age to you and they've got no confidence and they want to get into football, um, what, would, what advice would you give to them? I think like I've noticed more and more over the years being in so like many different clubs and different levels that actually there's so many volunteers and people that genuinely are just in women's football because they just care about the sport so much that actually all you need to do is find someone who knows someone who knows someone that in women's football and everyone just wants to help you. So just like finding a contact as a starting point, they will help you get into it because everyone is just so, so keen to get it growing and to develop it as much as they possibly can. That just finding a start point of like a simple contact will get you the information or anything that you need. So just mentality wise, just be like happy to put yourself out there because you'll get exactly what you want back from these people because they're so like supportive and helpful and they're doing it off their own back completely. Um, it's just having that confidence, but actually as soon as you're in it, you'll realize that there was n no, nothing to worry about because everyone is just so happy that you want to be involved. I think that that's probably the, from the outside looking in, not knowing a massive amount about women's football, that the, the level of camaraderie is definitely there in women's football. And like, as you've said, you've hit the nail on the head about people just want it to grow. There's no agendas. There's, no, there's nothing like that. It's all about just it being more accessible to women. And like what you said, Emma, there is, you know, there's so many schemes and programmes to get into it. And just having a quick look on the FA website prior to this meeting, uh, and this in this session, there are so many different avenues you can go down. You know, you put your postcode in, and there's there's pictures, and there's leagues, and there's teams that's there for you to access with contact details and and whatnot. It's it is there for people. Um, so it's it is it's brilliant to see that that's that's the kind of opinion that people have. But Chris, from you then, um, and I think Tori's pretty much kind of explained it a little bit that you know there's no it's not it's less so about you know how good you are or anything like that when you turn up you just want people to be involved what kind of methodology and kind of emphasis do you put on sessions are you you know are you you know getting people through drills and then into games what kind of approach do you take to it yeah i mean for us personally at bradford you know we we come under the the non-elite tag so we've only just returned you know last night was our first sort of um session back under under government guidelines but sort of personally for us we sort of come under that pre-elite so we are based in our leagues and everything being quite competitive being in the national league from there but we have a lot of players that, that do come to us um and you know if it's not quite right for them the, the, the way that the community around it supports in terms of there's no sort of being overprotective about it there's no sort of ego about it so if a player comes to us and, and it's not quite right for them at our level you know, we support them, you know, directly going into other clubs and finding the right level. I think the way that the women's sort of pyramid is is structured, um, you know, you've got your sort of top four, top five tiers now that 
are quite competitive, are quite um, probably your standard, um, you know, results driven and think in terms of the adult game. But sort of below that and beyond that, um, again, the ego sort of taken away, and it is very much about that recreational side, that supportive nature, and and we find that that sort of filters up brilliantly through the league. So if there are any players that are, find themselves in that level and um, you know, need that next step, they'll contact us just as much as they know that we'll contact them if we find someone who perhaps needs or, or is looking for that more supportive environment as opposed to a competitive environment. So it's, it's a really nice um, sort of ego-free and um, sort of friendly environment anyway and community, I suppose, the best word throughout, the, throughout that system. And not to put a not to put a negative spin on women's football in the slightest, uh, but I'm interested to hear what your guys' opinion is of what are the major issues facing the game. We had this conversation with um, you know the guys at a youth level with with girls teams, and also on the boys' side of, of things. And it generally seems to be around pitches and the availability of pitches and pitches being changed into housing. Um, so the availability reduces, which means less game time and less training sessions for people of every age. Is that something that you're finding as well, or is that something that's, you know, one of a list of other things that need to get better to make the standard better or the, the inclusion better? I'll uh, I'll sort of jump in on that one first. Um, I think I think it is it is a combination of things we have. You know, the, the growth of the game is, is absolutely fantastic. There are more teams, um, more and more teams, more and more players. And this is across football in general. But the infrastructure around it in this country hasn't caught up. So there are some facilities that are absolutely fantastic. I know in Sheffield, for example, there's, you know, three big centres that have been set up. But unfortunately, that's not the same in every, in every place. Um, you know, in Bradford, for example, where, you know, within the centre of Bradford, there aren't an awful lot of, uh, of available pitches. So if you're then trying to share that across a large number of teams, um, anyway, it, it, it's that same competition for every team at, at every level. So I think that infrastructure just needs time to catch up. Um, and I think because there is such a focus on women's football at the moment, because of, and rightly so, it's getting the, the attention it's, it's not been getting for, for many, many years. I think we're now getting to a point where because the focus is on it more, the spotlight is on the fact that the infrastructure isn't in place more, which then suggests the, um, the frustrations. I think it's always been the same. It's been the same across non-league football, for example, for many, many years, um, even into to league men's football where clubs are, you know, not every club owns their own training ground. So the problems have always been there, but it's just how we can support a, a each other, but also um, how that infrastructure is in place to better um, to better be used um, for the growth of the game to stop it ever stagnating or, or being halted. Any other input, guys, on that one? Um, just on the facilities side, it's um, I think it's really interesting because I think that actually, if um, it was a group of men's teams sat here as well, they would probably say exactly the same thing about facilities. I think it's something across the board that. Um, everyone would say they want better facilities and rightly so um, when any new um, funding comes from the football foundation for a new 3g pitch it's always within a usage plan that 
there is community use and that there's access and usage of females um, and disability teams as well. So that's something that is there, but obviously there's not as many 3G pitches as we have grass pitches out there as well. But um, we are conscious of that. And I think the, the, facility, um, the facilities that are provided alongside grass pitches as well also need to improve. So they're more, they're more inviting for women and females to use and not just a, I don't know, a, a shack on the side of a pitch that they have to go and change in. It should be a, it should be a lot better than that, but it should be better for everyone across the board, in my opinion. Um, I think you mentioned about the negative, like potentially negative sides of things. I think that the women's game needs more publicity and it needs to be in the public eye a lot more. And I think we're getting that at the moment. You'll notice off the back of any big tournament. So the Olympics in 2012, obviously the World Cups that we've had, we always get a bit of an influx in terms of interest of people wanting to play, um, get involved in the women's games. It could be around, it could be volunteers, players, anything along those lines. So I think any any publicity um, is is really good for the game. And I think with the Euros coming up as well, momentum will start to build. But the more you get games on the TV and the more that people sing and dance about it on social media, it, it comes to light. And I think it is now people are beginning to take notice. And for me, it's really disappointing that it's been the same for everyone, don't get me wrong, but over the last year, games have been able to be played in big stadiums. So this weekend just gone, Obviously, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium hosted Spurs women and Arsenal, but it's a completely empty ground. And it's it, that that's frustrating on one hand. But if you can put those games on TV, that then opens other people's eyes up to what's actually going on. And Emma, <clears throat> Emma one of the next questions that we did have was around the, this is definitely not a word, but I have I've tried to spell it anyway, the mainstreamization of women's football. And uh, yeah, that's definitely not a word. But... You know, women's uh, women's super league is going to be on Sky Sports um, next season, as as many will know. Um, you talked about the Euros going to be in England next year. What impact will that have? Um, you've talked about it driving more publicity, but on a on a participation level as well, does that inspire like younger girls to want to play when they're seeing it on TV? I think it's massive because if you think about. Um, I'm probably going to explain this really badly, but young girls are like, I never, when I was younger, never had, could see female role models on TV playing football. If I watched football, it's because I was watching men's football. And nowadays, younger girls have got those opportunities. They're still, they're still fewer than watching the male game on TV, but they still got the opportunity to watch females play on TV. Um, if it's through the FA player, which by the way, has been brilliant. It's, that's such a great app to be able to log in and watch all these different games um but the more it's on mainstream tv i just I, well it's just gonna be so inspiring for young girls to sit there and watch and and women of all ages as well i mean it's almost it makes me like really proud to think that actually i can put a bit of sport on at the weekend and it might be a women's football game that i've got on tv in the background while you're sort of buzzing around doing other stuff and it, it's, it just shows how far the games come so it's massive absolutely huge it would definitely inspire and increase participation. I remember as well when I went to um, the Women's World Cup in France um, and I was working at Kitlocker at the time and I remember coming in and everyone's going to me, oh, did you see that game? And it was literally just because they knew I'd gone and suddenly you have this new conversation. Um, and I think even when, like, I'm only 22 and I, I got into football because I was watching, like, Villa, like the men, and I, I had no 
like I didn't know many women footballers at all other than the main main one so to then go to the Women's World Cup and like know all the players and like follow them on Instagram it's just like a different world but I do think that the increase which we'll probably touch on in the in the this anyway but the increase in publicity can have that negative effect um in that there's been even recently some tweets and and you scroll down on like BBC Sport or whatever and it'll be people replying saying like no one cares and it's crazy because it's like actually what I think people need to start doing is recognizing women's football in isolation so it's not football where women are playing it it's women's football and it's men's football and it's never going to be identical because men and women are not the same like we're not we're made differently so it's never going to be the same so that comparison needs to stop and then it's not going to be that there's this weird stigma around women's football because that's a sport and that's a sport and they're really really good and they're really really good so like as soon as that stops it's just going to change everything because the growth is there the people are there the players are there as soon as it's seen as a separate thing, there's n- there's nothing left on it burdening it. I totally agree with you. I would say exactly the same. They need to be seen as separate sports. You can't compare the two. It, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I think uh, we could talk all day, couldn't we? About um, sorry, Chris. Uh, no, no. We could talk all day about you know people commenting on social media about their opinions when it's you know so anonymous and it allows people to do that. It is, like you said, you've hit the nail on the head, Tori, there by saying it is two separate sports. You know, it's a men's game and the women's game. Sorry, Chris, go on. No, no, I think my only sort of thing to add on that is what I think is absolutely fantastic about, I mean, the FA play has been mentioned. I've, I use it every weekend um, in a fan capacity and in a coaching capacity. It's, it's a great re- resource for me, but it's about normalising what, you know, women's football is. It's not, I'm sort of stealing a bit of a quote from um, Casey Sony about something else here, but, you know, she talked about it's not just about acceptance, it's about just it being normal. You know, like you said, switching it on the TV and seeing um, Everton women versus West Ham on TV just because it's a, a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon and, and just expecting it to be there at the moment. And, and rightly so, because it's it's new and it's, you know, still not ingrained into um, sort of our, our daily and, and weekly culture. It is a bit of a you know, a shock and it's, and it's exciting when it's on TV, but I'm really excited for 12, you know, 24, three years time, 24 months, three years time when it's just normal. You just know that this weekend I've got a choice of 20 games on TV and 10 of them are going to be, you know, women's football games and, and games that we can just see and, and hear and, and be around. So um, for me, it's that normalization, that making sure that, um, sort of everyone is is just aware not just aware it's there but it's just it becomes part of our our sort of culture and our lives yeah completely agree completely agree and uh yeah talking about normalizing it and the publicity side of things it's interesting because i'd i'd built up a really well i, I won't say weird because it's not weird but something i didn't expect an interest in women's football um, you know, at the major tournaments about Tori when you were in France and I'm looking at it and going, I, I know that Germany and France are really good, 
because I know their players play for Wolfsburg or, you know, there's teams in Sweden that are really good. And I'm like, the Swedish game on the men's side is pretty poor compared to the, the major nations. So seeing that difference is there is, it is really cool to see and know that Leon, Leon's women's team are really, really good. And, and I was like, oh, there's an English player that plays for him, which I'm sure is Tori's hero, being a right back, Lucy Bronze. I know she's back at Man City women now, right? But um, yeah, seeing that, it, it's just, it opens a completely new element of discovery for, for people like myself that have never had a massive interest in it growing up. So seeing it now and then you, you're learning all these things again for the, for the first time, I think can be quite addictive and hopefully it will catch on as it gets more and more mainstream and it is on the telly more. Because as you said, it is about accessibility and if it's there, people will consume it. You're going to get idiots that post stupid stuff on Twitter and whatnot. That's just the platform in general across everything. But I think if you're getting that, it means that it is getting mainstream and it is more known and it's Probably it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing at the same time because you know you're doing the right thing. Um, I also think like I, th- I think it's like okay that you don't have any knowledge of women's sport before. Like I don't think like anyone that's involved in women's football would talk to someone who's not involved in women's football and be like annoyed or like bothered by the fact that someone has no idea who plays football that's a girl. Like everyone's just like I said before, people are just happy that suddenly people are caring about it and suddenly people want to know who's good and want to know what teams are good and they want to talk to you about it. So that that whole, like, unexpected interest is, like, great. Like, that's what people want. They want the surprise. Oh, wait, actually, this is really good. Um, so that, like, it's not something that should stop people getting into, interested in it, having nothing on it before. Yeah. No, agreed, agreed. I've completely lost my train of thought. Ben, anything to add? From that perspective, it's just great to hear the uh, consistency in the thoughts and how it, you can see it developing. The social media one's interesting, Ali. I've never thought about it like that. Good point. So. Yeah. Um, um, one other thing that, from the outside looking in, and you know, I'm very much scratching at the surface of women's football, especially on a, looking at it from a, a participation level and whatnot. The, the thing that I see is that it, there's a real sense of community and, and camaraderie in it, as, as already mentioned. Tory playing, is that something that you, if you could distill it, like what it is, is it, is it the community side of it and being around like-minded individuals? Is that the thing that gets you up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning to play? What, what is it? I think it it is that like-mindedness. I think it's also that, especially at my age, the awareness that most of the girls I'm playing with are mid to late 20s or, you know, and they've had all this sort of banter all their lives of for playing. And we all have this like joint understanding that we've had to put up with that. And, And like you say, now it's getting a bit, more exciting and bigger and suddenly no one no one does that anymore like as much to my age but it's just that like you said that like-mindedness and it's also the fact that like that we're all getting up and like I drive from Sheffield to Bradford so does Chris three times a week that's without thinking of away games where we go to ridiculous places so it's like the time and effort that the players put in but the coaches and the management and this is just a known thing in women's football. 
like all football, but specifically women's, the time and effort that goes into planning the sessions, sorting the kit, everything like that, it's just a different level of appreciation when you're involved in it. And everyone's aware of that. So you don't have to deal with people like being ungrateful or anything like that because everyone knows what it takes for them to be there. Yeah, I think that that's the kind of impression I get that it's just a happier place. We, we, we've, as mentioned, we've spoken about the men's game multiple times and there's people that don't reply to WhatsApp for a month, they're chasing subs and people just drop off the face of the earth with the participation of a certain team will join another team. There's no explanation. There's nothing like that. And it's, it seems to me like there's probably much less of that there because you've all got that vested interest and you're all in it together to play and you're just happy to be there where I, I think there's less of that on the men's side. Maybe it's just because there's more people that do it. So you hear about the, the, the that side of it a little bit more, uh, but I'm sure there are, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of really good clubs. But Emma, what, what do you think, if you, could, if you could describe it as a feeling or, you know, from playing and then looking at it from the other side of coaching and from the county affair perspective, what are the key takeaways from, you know, people that do play? Yeah, well, I think Tori explained it really well. I think, I think as a female game, it's much more accepted of the commitment you have to make, whether that's right or wrong. I just think it is the way it is. And when I think back to when I was playing, it's exactly the same. We would train a couple of times in the week and then we'll be travelling around the M25 and the whole of the southeast to play a fixture and that's your Sunday gone and I just think well does that happen in the men's game but I know that the game was evolving even more so when I was playing but um, it's definitely an acceptance and there's you can there's definitely that um, camaraderie in terms of I got out of it a lot of the social side so a lot of my friends now are friends I met when I first started playing football so I think you can't you can't beat that side of it, and I obviously not playing in the men's game. I don't know if that happens as much, but I certainly would say that football has brought me friends for life and social circles for life as well. So, um, so yeah, that would be a, a key takeaway. And I think from a county point of view as well, I think that um, the volunteers put so much into it, and the volunteers at the moment are still predominantly men in the female game as well, and. We're hoping to get more women obviously involved in coaching and that as well. But it just shows like from Chris's point of view as well that there are men out there that get invested in the female game and they stay there because of the love of it and they enjoy it and they're invested to take the girls on that journey too. Um, ben, just correct me if I'm wrong here, but from the from the podcast episode that we did with um, East Surrey Girls, um, they wanted more coaches and you know people involved with the club to be women, and they and they they said they were ticking the box on punctuality. They were always there. They were really really motivated. They were really bought into the club, but they they weren't putting themselves forward for it because they felt they lacked the technical skills to be able to coach or deliver a session or plan a match. What? What's out there for people? Or what would you say, even if there's not a lot out there at the moment, what would you say to people that have maybe got that mindset? Yeah, I guess it's the same with um, guys as well, though, because not every coach has played. So they may not have that technical mindset or the tactical experience to put them in themselves up in that position as well. I think with women, it's a confidence thing. I think that's what it comes 
we're doing a bit of work at the moment with our recreational groups to encourage those women to do the FA Playmaker, which is the first sort of step on the ladder before a level one. So if they enjoy that, we then would support them to do a level one. And we've got mentors out there as well that are um, employed by the FA that are doing a lot of work with the county FAs to support these females as well. So we will get there. It, it is a slower process, um, but we're doing a lot of work to encourage females to sort of dip their toe in the water with the coaching side of things to, to help take these teams on. And these Surrey girls are a great example. They're one of our clubs and they've done, they've done some great stuff there building that club up over a few years and trying to get female coaches involved. But we don't want to get rid of the male coaches. <laughs> They're fantastic too. <laughs> In the webinar the other day, we have... Ben you're, ben, you're very, very quiet. Very quiet. I don't know if everyone else is suffering with Ben's quietness. But bring your laptop a bit closer, please. This time that'll ever be said. I'm very quiet. <laughs> you're, still, you're still quiet now. I've got no idea. Um, you, might, you might have to start shouting. Exton girls, uh, not Exton girls, East Surrey girls were saying, no, Exton were saying that they link in with the local colleges. So the guys, or well, the girls that are on uh, 16 to 18 coach education, sports coaching courses, and then they're looking to link them in uh, with the club for the work experience or the coaching experience perspective to get into the women's game. One challenge that they do have is that that women representation on the side of the pitch. I think they had a couple of coaches each that were, that, that were ladies. Um, so how are they increasing that? I think they find they were saying from best practice or case studies that mums are obviously a great example to do that, but they're not always very inclined to do it. Um, so then they were looking to integrating the mum into the wildcat session, where it is more of a social, more of a fun, more of a just well, as we discussed earlier, that just getting to know football as such, and integrating in that way, and then see if there's an appetite to take it forward. Um, and another point that I have uh, as well, uh, Ollie Kitlock, um, Kitlocker Juniors, Rob Wilson, he's actually his best coach, so to speak, is, is what he was referencing. His best coach was a female coach. And, and the, the boys like really respond, well, the boys respond better to, I forgot the, the girl's name, apologies, but to her better than the lads as well. It was, it was great to have that difference in view. Uh, yeah. yeah. As well, like if you strip coaching back, it's what are you actually trying to achieve out of a coaching session? So if you're looking at a wildcat session or a younger age group, it's you want someone that's understanding, it's got good empathy. It's not necessarily always about having that technical knowledge to set up the most complicated coaching drill. It's about having people there that are understanding and supportive and, and leading at the end of the day. And a lot of Mark me if I'm wrong, a lot of the time if you're introducing a, a girl or a lady to football, it wants to be accommodating to them. So you're better off having somebody that's accommodating as a coach, as a person being at the front, rather than a coach that's going to have drills and things like that set out already. You want to integrate them into feeling good rather than playing good as such. That, that first port of call is the, the seal of the ability. I think it lowers the turnover as well of people that come in and out of it, knowing that they might not enjoy it. You're taking all that up, you're reducing the risk of that happening by it being around being inclusive and being relaxed. It's not a massive emphasis on playing ticker tackle football and playing like Barcelona straight away. It's not about that in the slightest. It's about you know what we've discussed and we've kind of come to not much of an agreement on. So I think it was a, it was common knowledge across everybody that it's not about that first and foremost. So, Chris, I guess that's a question for you. What, what would you 
how would you describe it from a from a coach's side and as a male? What what do you see from the guys when they when they're turning up at training? Is it a really happy environment? Are they are they desperate to learn and develop their knowledge of tactical tactical stuff and technical, or are they just happy to be there and they want to play and get into games? No, I mean I I couldn't speak more highly, and, and this I'm not just saying it because there's a chance they might listen, but um, I couldn't speak more highly for the group in terms of their way to try and take on information and and, and taking everything from there. I mean. You know, I sort of try and compare the club from when I first joined them and we've been hit by two major lockdowns in the 18 months I've been there. But even in, so we've had a relatively short amount of time face to face and the amount of information that they've taken on from from myself, um, you know, Charlotte, who's who's our assistant manager, um, outstanding coach as well. And, and we're just constantly dripping that information in and they want more and they're constantly asking for more. Um, but first and foremost before we even got to that point it was about us being and, and the environment and, and the right people so um yeah for, for our level yes they want that coaching information but i think if i wasn't making an effort to, to be a nice person in a nice environment if i if you know if charlotte wasn't you know incredible you know brilliant at, the, at interacting with the girls on a you know still plays herself so as a player point of view and a coaching point of view plus all the other coaches we've got you know we've got goalkeeper coaches and and physios and everyone around who first and foremost their key thing is how they interact um, with the girls and that's sort of the first thing we say um, and I'd like to think that that's our sort of unique selling point as a coaching team at the moment if we can then add the quality and stuff on top of course again with the level that we're at um, you know we'd love that but it is about them sort of that, that I suppose that holistic is probably the word we're looking for. We've got to hit every base with it, really. Um, some of the girls go through through patches where it's their only release. They, they've got awful, you know, they're going on at school or, or work or, or, or whatever, um, you know, university, and they come to us. Some come to the point where they've not got much going on and all they want is, is more information and more challenges and more everything. So we've just got to be really adaptable to that, um, which, you know, probably are, Sort of biggest learning curve from ourselves from a coaching point of view. Yeah, completely. I think you've summed that up really well. We're all human and we all have issues and we all have stuff that, you know, we've got going on in our lives. And having football as a release, whether you're a boy or a girl, female, male, or whatever, that is, it's there to, you know, soften that and make you deal with it better long term, regardless of who you are. So I really appreciate that, your feedback on that, Chris. I've not really got much else written down. I really appreciate everyone's time and I'm conscious that it is a working day. So one final thing that I did want to kind of touch on, and Emma, you've kind of mentioned this already, obviously like Wildcats as a program, you know, the most recent Time for Change grassroots FA initiative that we're talking about, which is millions and millions of pounds. But if, if you know, the head of the FA was listening to this, county FAs or even retailers such as Kit Locker, what more can we be doing to get more people playing the game? Emma, I'm, lo- I'm, a- I'm looking at you on that one to start with. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good answer now. <laughs> um, so I get, well, the, the publicity is a big one because I think the more that the word is out there and the more light that people have of the women's game and the female game, the better because we're trying to attract more people never say no to more money 
I'm sure that um, obviously you've only got full-time players at the top level at the moment. So when that starts filtering down, I think that that's a real positive as well. Um, obviously, Lewis FC are a good example because they match men's and women's salaries down there. They're doing some really good work. So I think when more men's team, men's clubs take that on board and start treating their women's teams equally, I think that's when we're looking to get to a, a more level playing field. Um, say, I'd say they're the two main bits that can probably help actively change it. I hate talking about money because I think the women's game or the female game has done well without money in the past and I would hate it to go the other way fully like the men's game where everything is all about money but I think that it just needs to start drip feeding down the levels a little bit because I think some of the the more grassroots clubs and that do miss out a little bit. Yeah, I think that's, that is that is great. Um, looking at it from a retailer side of things and for people listening that maybe missed that Tory works at Kit Locker, we are outnumbering the amount of people that are on this call, three to two work at Kit Locker. So it's definitely worth mentioning the kind of work that we've been doing behind the scenes from a, from a women's football perspective. And um, myself, I've, we've done a bit of tutoring with master students from universities. One of them on, a, on the first year that we did do that scheme was actually one of Tori's best friends, Victoria Chincharo. Shout out to Victoria for helping us um, do some research into women's football. And one of the things that we found, you know, we looked at brand preference and, and that kind of thing, but around like the fit of product can be a major, major thing for some, for some girls getting into the game. And, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis around like different cuts of product um, that, that is women fit. And sometimes it is, it's almost, it, it's gone too far in terms of it being quite tapered or, or whatever it may be. And that's not, always seen as the right answer or the right avenue to go down for women's fit product. And, and, we, and we found that a massive percentage of girls would rather wear unisex fit than the traditional men's fit product because it, you know, they can wear, if they want to wear it tight, they can size down. If they want to wear it baggy, they can size up. So from our side of things, we did start to photograph that unisex product on boys and girls rather than just traditionally have it on boys to try and make that a little bit more obvious that you don't need to buy the women's fit product you can buy the you know the unisex or the boys fit products because if you're more comfortable doing that there's nothing stopping you from from doing so and brands like nike are, are great for this because they'll, they'll have a, a black and white striped shirt in a women's fit but it's also in the boys fit so the option is there and putting that in front of people from a consumer or a team perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, I've talked a lot in these last few days, you have that you have that option then to feel completely comfortable and that should never ever be uh, uh, a decision or a deciding factor in walking onto the pitch or not, whether it is a compete level or a, or a training training level. Um, so yeah, that's just me big up kit lock on the way that I do. But um You've got to get it in there at some point, haven't you? In case our managing director listening. We've not so. done any plugging during these series. That was the first plug that we've done. It is the first plug that we've done. But I think it's important because, you know, there's a lot of companies that it's probably they don't do it out of because we don't want to. I just think it's maybe, you know, that research is not there. And and we were fortunate enough to get that primary research, which, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to count on, you know, one hand on the girls' teams that I know that are in the local area, whereas obviously using 
you know, using Tory's friend gives us that avenue into the side of the game, which is very, very valuable information. And those links are already there. So I think it's also like for women's football, it's massively body shape, whereas men's you don't have to do that as much. So like a lot of places might just do like men's and women's, which is great. But actually some girls' body types, they won't work in a men's fit and some they won't feel comfortable in a girl's fit. But there's such a variance in women's body types, so much more so than men. Um, so, so having as many options as possible and showing all those options on all those people um, is such a big thing, I think, nowadays. So would you guys sell a kit and mix and match? Yeah. Like if you were going to supply a women's team, you'd say, well, if the, you want half your shirts in men's cut and half female, you can do that. Completely. The club, what they'd want. Um, we wouldn't dictate anything. It's, look, this is what you can have, mix and match, have it, have it however you want it. I, uh, funnily enough, a couple of years ago, did a, uh, an activation with Nike where we worked with a, a league uh, in the East, um, East of England, and, and the winner of the league got three, three free kits, second got two, and third got one. Um, because Nike had just launched this new uh, women's range, the Nike Park women's range. Funnily, interestingly enough, the feedback from it when we uh, distributed the kits, or looked to distribute the kits after is, well, actually, we distributed it, so I only wanted to return it to switch to men's product because the, the kits were the slim fit, the athletic fit, and as Tori just alluded to, they're very different uh, body shapes and sizes. So it kind of it was a bit of a slap in the face as such, but it was a great activation. It was just we learned that actually this isn't always probably the best way to go about it. And that was direct from brand. That was direct from Nike. So I think they, they got a bit like, wow, this is not what you think is the right way to do it. I'd go girls, shorts, men's top if I had a choice. So, you know. Yeah, and I think that, that obviously we'd never say, never restrict it to, you, you're, you're a girls team and you know, you're buying a couple of girls kits, so you have to wear all girls kits. The, the thing is that, I think from a, and you know, this is me looking at it from the outside looking in and my opinion of it is that Nike have to do a lot of work around, and I did ask do when the big brands around like forecasting with certain product lines, knowing what they can sell and what will, you know, be bought by consumers and, and customers. So, you know, there might be a certain product style, a certain shirt where it is only available in a unisex fit, but that's just because they think that they won't sell as many as you know like i said about like a black and white striped shirt does come in a male and female fit so it is there you just got to pick your, your shirt style and colors in a way where you have got that option but i definitely suggest to anybody that's listening that's buying a, a kit for their women's team check that it comes in a unisex fit as well um order samples and get them in a women's size and uh, women's cut and a men's cut and and see what people feel comfortable doing because i'm sure you know, it's probably only five minutes more work for an account manager when they're processing a kit order. And if it means that you guys are happier um, with what you're wearing, then then great. And I think Tori used some perfectly there by saying, you know, you'd wear the you know the different gendered cut for your top and the bottom, which I'm, I, I you know some men feel uncomfortable in a in a unisex fit shirt in a certain way because of their body shape. So you know you can if we can help facilitate people feel better, then 
you know, we'll do what we can from our side as a retailer. Emma, I'm just going to go back and ask you a question regarding uh, the development of women and girls clubs. I know we're, we're looking to wrap up, but I've just thought of something. So apologies, guys. Um, last, on again, referring back to the call we had the other day, it was about setting up women's and or girls solely, women and or girls clubs. Are you seeing more and more just women, just girls clubs being set up recently? Um, well, on their own rather than linked in with a male club. Not, not necessarily um, youth. I would say the women's recreational groups, yes, they're setting up as their, as themselves. Um, in terms of women's and girls only clubs in Surrey, we've probably got a handful that are only female. Um, and they're really good clubs as well, I must, must admit. They're growing, the number of their teams are going, increasing year on year, which is great. Um, but yeah, sorry, what was your question, Ben? <laughs> are you seeing more and more... Of, 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 of female clubs being set up compared to the past, I guess. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say we're seeing more. I can see it probably happening. I would say there's probably more um, more teams coming under the umbrella of a bigger mixed mixed club. And that's and that leads to the, the conversation we had earlier, which I, I just didn't jump in with. This point is a new women and girl or women and or girls club, depending on how you word it. Um, the, the facilities, the clubhouse, the, all that kind of thing it's harder to get access to rather than setting up a girls or women's section within a club that are already established have already got the pitch already got the playing time the club i work for the women's uh, side got set up the women's section got set up and it, it's literally just like uh, toilet roll being set on fire it's fantastic how quickly it's it's, it's ignited um and, and the, the building out the youth section now but a respect for a girls club setting up on their own, you need to find that location or pitch rental or, and, and developing everything from scratch. So, yeah, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer on that. And I guess it's, it's always quite daunting if you're trying to set something up from scratch, going off on your own. So my initial support, my initial advice would be, is there anyone you can link in with because you've got the structure there, you've got the committee there already, and exactly like you said, they've got the clubhouse, they've got the pitches. Um, they can operate as a girls' section of that club, but also it helps with recruitment because within that main club, they're going to have sisters at play, mums at play, cousins, etc., etc. That's it. I think if I if I can just jump in on that one, I think again, I I wouldn't say that there's necessarily one answer just through my experience. Um, I do think it's really important to find the right fit club you know I've seen a number of clubs for example where they've you know set up a, a women's section or set up a girls section and it has very much been an afterthought and a second thought and it's they might as well have not done it I've seen a number of clubs do it where they've they've done it absolutely brilliantly and like you said it, it just absolutely on fire and it's and it's probably engulfed the entire club it's it's become bigger and better from there um you know, so it's making sure that if you if you're wanting to set up a team um, and I've helped people set up teams before myself that when they've gone to clubs, is the, the chairman or chairwoman, is the person running it really keen to support and make sure that you've got the things? And, and, and it comes down to the basics of space and equipment. You know, can, have you got space to play football and have you got the equipment to do it? And are they prepared to, to give you what they would give to a boys team or what they've currently already got in place? Um, if not, then you might be better off doing it yourself because 
if you're the person with the with the passion to make sure that they get exactly what they deserve and what they need. Um, so it is, it's that really difficult balance. And I don't think that's a, a joining or an individual thing. That's just a let's make sure that those playing, because every player deserves to get absolutely everything that they need out of it um, given to them. Um, you know, and, and that's sort of one of the big things that I love to see in a coach, you know, is a coach um, or a club prepared to, to do whatever it takes for the, the girls, the, the boys, whoever they're coaching to have the best football and experience because at the end of it, that's, that's what they've turned up for. Great. Thank you very much. And that's how, and I think that's how we'll keep coming back, you know. So you, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Chris. Uh, guys, I really, really, really appreciate your time and there's some class takeaways from that. Um, I think there's plenty of, plenty of bits in there for people that are maybe looking to get into the game, um, to inspire and to help. So, yeah, on behalf of Ben and I and Kit Locker, I really appreciate your, uh, your input. The KitLocker.com Club Series Podcast. Podcast. Talking everything grassroots.